Welcome to Catalyst Conversations, the podcast that brings you real-world stories and solutions from a wide variety of acoustic experts. Each episode, we'll dive into a different topic from the world of acoustics, such as architectural and industrial noise control, seismic and vibration restraint, acoustical testing, or innovative design and engineering of sound control products. Our experts have decades of experience in this space and are eager to share their expertise with you. Join us in making the world a quieter place. Thank you for tuning in to the second edition of Catalyst Conversations, a new podcast by Catalyst Acoustics Group. I'm your host, Becca Barth, and I'm a member of the Catalyst Acoustics Group marketing team. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Eric Wolfram, the laboratory manager of Riverbank Acoustical Labs, about the many services Riverbank offers, as well as some tips for reading an acoustical test report. Eric is truly one of the brightest minds in the industry today, and I'm so excited for you to hear this discussion. So let's get into it. If you're joining us today, it may be because you either have a noise problem you'd like to solve, or you have an interest in the science of acoustics. Who better to speak to both audiences than Eric Wolfram, the lab manager at Riverbank? Thank you for joining us today, Eric. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Becca. So before we dive in, why don't we take care of a little housekeeping? Eric, would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit more about your background? Sure. Um, I graduated in 2005 from Columbia College, Chicago, with a bachelor's degree in acoustics. And I worked for, from 2005 to 2012, I worked for a uh, acoustical consulting firm called Scott Riddell and Associates that was based in Milwaukee. Um, we did all sorts of different things. The, that firm is nationally recognized for uh, traditional house of worship acoustical design. Um, so I did, I think, close to 200 uh, models on church uh, churches across the country. I also did noise control engineering locally in the Milwaukee area and field tests for sound transmission loss and impact sound transmission. In 2012, I was approached by Alliance Science and Technology. Um, their recruiter asked if I was interested in uh, applying for their job of uh, laboratory manager for Riverbank. And knowing the history of Riverbank, I was blown away and honored that they were even asking me. And um, yeah, I started in 20, uh, mid-2012, and I've been running Riverbank ever since. Um, it's been just over 10 years now. One other thing is um, I happen to be the chair of the ASTM E33 committee. Um, and I've been doing that role since 2020. Um, E33 writes the acoustic standards that are used by our lab and consultants across the country and even internationally as well. Wow, you have quite the resume, Eric. Now, would you like to give our audience a brief overview of Riverbank and the many services you and your team offer? Sure. Um, our lab is over 100 years old. We were the first um, purpose-built acoustic lab in the entire world. Um, we started with sound absorption testing and, and sound level testing in a reverberation chamber, and then later on expanded to sound transmission loss and impact sound transmission testing and even field testing. So most of our customers, um, probably 90% are 
um, building products manufacturers or um, distributors, people that make like architectural materials that are designed to reduce noise or, or reduce reverberation or improve acoustic environments. Um, we do um, variety of tests, so sound absorption, mainly the ability of a material to reduce echoes and reverberation. Uh, sound transmission loss is the ability of materials to block sound, so how basically measuring how well a, a wall assembly blocks sound from one room through the wall to the other. Um, that's uh, the STC rating. Um, we also do impact sound transmission, so the IIC rating, and that measures the ability of floor ceiling assemblies to um, reduce footfall noise. We do tests in the field for both the um, sound transmission loss and impact sound transmission as well, and we do those according to ASTM standards, and we have uh, accreditation for those as well. We do sound power level measurements, which uh, measure the total acoustic energy output from a device. Uh, we calibrate reference sound sources, which are used for field or engineering sound power measurements by our customers around the country. We also do small scale impedance tube or other engineering tests as well. So basically we help product manufacturers understand the acoustical performance of their materials. Geez, you offer a lot of different services. Since these services are so varied, I think in the interest of time, we should focus our discussion today just on reporting. We can definitely have you back on another time to talk about the rest, though. So, working in the industry I do, I've seen my fair share of test reports. I think it may be interesting to talk about what to look for in a report and how to read them. Can you shed some light on this? maybe focus a bit on sound absorption test reports. Sure. So all of our accredited test reports have requirements that are, are given to us from two different agencies. So overall, as a lab, we're uh, accredited to ISO 17025, um, which is the lab's overall quality management system requirements, which also has requirements for test reporting. And what shall appear in test report documents. When we perform a specific test, the test standard itself may also have, or typically does, have requirements for what shall be reported. So each of our formal test reports will meet the requirements of both of those standards. Almost all of our uh, test reports will have four key things. One would be in the first paragraph, typically at the top of the first page, a description of the test method and who has sponsored or paid for the test and when the test was performed. Um, and um, the second section in the report will be information that's provided by the test sponsor. So this is uh, the 2017 version of ISO 17025. Um, introduce this requirement, which I think is brilliant. Basically, it forces us to separate out what information we ourselves observed versus what information was provided to us by the test sponsor. So the second section of the report identifies items that were provided by the test sponsor, and this will usually be product names or 
you know, if they have a claim in their product's name of a fire rating, that sort of thing that we couldn't verify, we'll put it in that section. Um, this is going to be present in all reports after 2017. Then the third part of the report will be a description of the test sample, our own observations of the test sample, including physical measurements such as the weights and dimensions of it. And in some cases, description of the different layers and components that were used to assemble um, the system, like for example, a wall assembly will describe the studs, the insulation, the wall board, um, the fastener pattern, etc. Then the fourth section will be a presentation of the test results. So this is where you will see your one-third octave band results and your single number ratings and a graphic presentation of the results. And then finally, at the end of the reports, there will be a revision history. So if there are multiple versions of the test report over time, those changes will be documented in that revision history. Now, specifically regarding sound absorption test reports, so uh, most of them that we perform are according to ASTM C423. So the results there will be presented in sound absorption in Sabins. Um, one Sabin is approximately equal to one square foot of perfect sound absorption area. The ASTM and ISO both require now that scientific reports are presented in terms of SI units or metric units. So we'll also provide the meters squared of sound absorption area or commonly known as the metric Sabin overall results for products that are a two-dimensional flat um, material such as ceiling tiles or wall panels, things that cover a two-dimensional surface. We'll provide something called sound absorption coefficients. These are very approximately understood as the fraction or the percent of incident sound that's absorbed, but a more deeper understanding of what those sound absorption coefficients are is really the Sabins per square foot or the absorption per unit area of the material. And we provide those at all the one third octave bands throughout the test range. Because a spectrum or results as a performance over a spectrum is complicated and cumbersome for um, a lot of people to use, the standards have single number ratings, which are used to compare products. So the most commonly known one for sound absorption testing is the NRC or noise reduction coefficient rating. That's the historic and most widely used uh, single number rating for sound absorption tests. However, a few decades ago, it was replaced or ASTM E33 committee attempted to replace NRC with something called SAA or sound absorption average, which solves some of the peculiarities that everyone is familiar with with NRC, such as the strange rounding to the 0.05 and the small sampling of frequencies used in the calculation. So generally SAA, in almost any context is preferable to NRC. However, NRC is still widely used by the architectural products industry. So we give you both ratings for tests on samples that are suspended objects, such as acoustical baffles um, spaced apart from each other or um, acoustic light fixtures, or basically any array of suspended spaced objects. The results will be in 
total segment, so total square foot of absorption area, meter squared of absorption area, and those divided by the quantity of objects, so savings per object and meter squared per object. We also provide an unofficial um, appendix outside of the test report at the end of the PDF document, which will have unofficial calculations of savings per unit area um, for spaced objects. We currently do it in the four possible ways one could interpret the surface area of a three-dimensional suspended object, but we are working on um, the ASTM E33 committee. We are working to standardize this, so there will be only one answer to what's the absorption per square foot for baffles. So, and that's it's either going to happen in 2023 or it's likely not to happen. That's super interesting. So from a manufacturer standpoint, can you walk me through the testing process? What products do you often find yourself testing? What should a manufacturer expect to receive in terms of a test report? And what does the typical process and timeline look like? Sure. So yeah, the typical process would be, let's say you're a product manufacturer and you have just developed a new um, brand X uh, acoustical panel, let's say and has a secret formulation um, that you um, believe will be a profitable revolutionary change to the acoustics products industry, um, you could give me a call or send me an email, contact us through our website, and I'll start the process of designing the test plan for you and quoting. So basically the first process is I'll talk to you about, you know, what is the product? How is it typically installed in the field? And from that, I'll usually know what is the correct test method, how many tests you'll need, and um, what is the mounting type. So for example, ASTM C423 or the NRC test, there are basically a dozen different or more different mounting types. Um, but in most cases, they're really trying to replicate that field installation method. So um, if you tell me what that field intended installation is, I'll know the mounting type typically. So once we have a test plan, I can give you a quote and that'll have a description of what we're doing and then the costs uh, itemized for each procedure. Once you have the quote, the process is typically we'll need a purchase order or a signed quote to authorize the testing. Once we receive the materials, there's typically a two to four week uh, lead time in the busy season. It can get up to four weeks, although we're working hard to try to reduce that. Right now, our lead time is less than two weeks, um, and it basically cycles through the different um, periods of the architectural products business cycle. So, um, But if you need it tested right away, we have an option for front of line service. So for a fee, you can be moved to the front of line and in most cases you're tested next day. Also, if you plan to come out to witness the testing, we'll be happy to schedule it to accommodate your flights and hotel arrangements. Lead time on the getting on the calendar is typically two to three weeks out for small projects. And then you might want to think about scheduling four weeks out for a large vehicle, maybe a project that has an entire week of testing that usually want to schedule it about a month out. 
you'll get results on the day of the test. So immediately after we finish testing, you'll get results right away. The test itself takes about 30 to 40 minutes. Um, sometimes, depending on what the product or system under test is, that's usually the majority of the time building or installing or assembling the, the product under test. Um, materials that take a long time to build um, typically have a higher cost in the lab and products that are real simple to install and assemble. Those tests are typically much less expensive per test. Um, so once we've built and tested it, you get the results right away. And then there's about a one week uh, lead time for the formal written report. And you'll get a draft of the formal report after we've written it. And you have an opportunity to tell us, um, you know, you'd like to change, let's say, the description of the product, the name of the product, let's say. Or uh, maybe there's one photo we chose that you feel is unflattering. Those can be removed there's there's a certain flexibility we have and then there are some things that we're just we will not change or we feel must be included like accurate weights accurate dimensions um, and an overall photo of the um, the product as installed as tested and once you approve the draft of the report you'll get within a day or two typically you'll get uh, digitally signed um, PDF of the formal test report. So hypothetically, a manufacturer has your test report in hand. What can they do with this data? Sure. So our tests are typically used for a couple different things. So on one hand, um, a manufacturer, if they're in the research and development stage of designing or, or refining their product or system, they could hire us to do tests on iterations um, for comparison and development to find what's the right formula that provides the best results. Um, in that case, they may never publish the reports. They may just use the data for their own internal purposes. But then when they come to a design that they feel is this is the product we are going to sell to our customer, they will have that tested. We'll issue a formal test report document that they can use as evidence of the product's performance um, in, in the selling the product. So truly our reports are a record of a test event. So they are a record of who tested it, who sponsored it, what was tested, how it was tested and what the results are and that record is um, is used as evidence that this product or system is capable of reaching the nrc or stc ratings they're asked for by acoustical consultants who are naturally skeptical of different manufacturers claims and if they have a test report especially a recent test report they have a lot of confidence that that this product will perform as advertised. And there are, are um, some cases where manufacturers are meeting uh, specification requirements. So the, the local municipality or the building owner has provided a document where they must meet a certain fire rating, they must meet certain structural performance, certain uh, flame spread or off-gassing requirements, and the acoustical performance will be one of those line items. And then our report will be submitted as evidence 
um, for their product meeting the acoustical requirements. Thank you, Eric. We've just about hit our time here. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience that we didn't cover? Sure. Um, there's, there is sort of a common misconception about the precision of the tests. I've heard people say things like, you know, acoustical testing is uh, a black art or black magic. You never know what you're going to get. You could have the lab run the test 10 times and you'll get different ratings. Um, and these sorts of things people repeat to each other. Um, I don't think are exactly true. Um, I think the science of acoustics has a very high precision in terms of measurement, but a very high uncertainty in terms of prediction. And so I think this is very similar to meteorology. If we stand outside and with a hygrometer and we take temperature and humidity measurements, we have a lot of confidence in those measurements, but it, we don't have a lot of confidence in our ability to predict the weather a week out. So I think that's a similar situation we have in acoustics. We can very make very precise measurements, but predicting how a system will perform when we make seemingly minor changes um, is highly uncertain. So there's different levels of this repeatability. The first would be, let's say we have a product that's installed in our lab and we run the test back to back twice or three times. That precision is very tight, so the, the results are less than a decibel different um, for tests back to back. You may see with some of the single number ratings, you may see the number flip, like you might go from a 29 to a 30 on a retest. One, that's rare, and two, that typically only happens when one of the key frequencies that is used in that rating where there are deficiencies that are limiting the rating has flipped due to rounding. So you went from a 24.4 to a 24.5. That just flipped a whole number from 24 to 25. The ASTM standards use whole numbers for the calculation of the ratings, which is somewhat antiquated way of doing things. And this can cause a little bit of that error to expand. But the raw data, the test, there's a lot of precision from a back-to-back -back test. Now, if we take that same sample and we install it twice, so we install it, test, remove it, install it again, test, there's still very high precision, but there's a little bit more variability, just a touch more variability there from that actual installation. Now, let's say we take the same sample or the same nominal material, but a different sample of it and test that back to back. Now you'll see slightly more variability in the results. And just especially if those samples are from a long time duration between two, like 30 years, like, you know, the same nominally identical product from 1980 tested versus one from today, you'll see slightly more variation. So, um, and then there might be some variation from lab to lab. And also in the field condition, this adds another source of variability or of uncertainty. So anyone that has um, experience with musical instruments will um, have experience with this. So you have two nominally identical guitars, right? But you may feel that one sounds a little sweeter than the other. 
and that's probably just a fraction of a dB different in you know the mid upper frequencies that just gives it that different um, sound and that comes through in tests too. So just a little bit of sample variation can cause the rating to flip a couple points. Huh, that's so interesting. So in closing, if a listener has any questions about your services or would like to get in touch, what would be the best way for them to do that? Sure, there are two main ways. One, our uh, website is riverbankacoustics.com. You can also Google us at Riverbank Acoustical Laboratories. And then I have an email address you can feel free to reach out to. That's info at riverbankacoustics.com. And Riverbank Acoustics is all one word with no dashes or anything like that. If you have any questions or if I can help with uh, acoustical testing, feel free to reach out. Likewise, if you see one of our reports and you'd like some clarification about information that's provided on the report that you have, um, I'd be happy to help uh, as well. Wonderful. Thank you again, Eric. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with me today. Thank you for having me on, Becca. We look forward to talking again soon. Again, if you'd like to learn more about Riverbank and its many services, check out riverbankacoustics.com services, or you can reach out to info at riverbankacoustics.com. I'll include those links in the show notes as well. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode and maybe even learned something about acoustical testing that you didn't know before. Be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you're listening right now so you can stay up to date on new episodes. And if you liked what you heard, we'd love if you left a rating or a review for us. Until next time, 